As the world gets stranger and stranger, we can't help but ask, are we close to the end? We'll talk about that on today's bonus episode of Indie Thinker. Hey, thanks so much for watching. Please, before we go any further, do us a big favor. Make sure to subscribe to this channel, click the bell to be notified, and then leave a comment below. And then make sure to share this with friends. This will really help us out as we continue to grow and it'll help us build this platform so that we can bring on great guests and continue to provide great content for you guys. All right, so many have undertaken the goal and the unenviable task of trying to figure out what the end of the world will look like. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this because I think the world doesn't make sense. The world doesn't look like the world that I grew up with. And I keep on wondering to myself, and you probably are too, what kind of world am I going to leave behind for my kids to grow up in? There is this increasing sense of disconnect from reality, I think, for all of us as we start to see kind of cultural trends and things happen in society. Now, I think that this goes far beyond just me, and probably that's why you're watching this. So there's also been many people who have undertaken this subject because it's a subject of interest to all of us. So the question is, is what is going to be that breaking point for America? What is going to be that breaking point for the world? And perhaps if America is something, this experiment fails and the social fabric that we continue to tear at with cancel culture and other things like it, if it continues to tear to the point where it finally tears and is no longer repairable, what does that mean for the rest of the world? I mean, I don't think we ask this kind of stuff. Now, obviously, as a Bible-believing person, the Bible takes into account what the apocalypse will look like. We'll dig into that in just a minute, but I also want to show that there's some correspondence here between those who have talked about the end of the world from a biblical perspective and those who talk about the end of the world from, from a secular perspective, if you want to call it that, because the two most famous books on the subject are 1984 with George Orwell and Brave New World with Aldous Huxley. And there's been great conversation, most of all coming from a guy named Neil Postman, in a book that he wrote called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And I want to read a quote from that book because this will paint the dichotomy of what these two books propose as, as to what the end of the world will look like. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. And moving on a little bit, I think this is one of the most telling things. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. So there's two different ways in which the world will end, according to these two guys. One, big government suppression. The other one, the big government will not need to be suppressed because pleasure will take the place of freedom. And that's kind of the idea in, in Huxley's book. And I can't help but lean to one side because I have a scriptural belief in what the end of the world will look like. So I want to read just real quick for you some passages of scripture that talk about the end of the world. And this may come as a surprise to you because it serves as a kind of checklist for what will happen in a society, in the world, when the world is is going to end when, you know, the handwriting is on the wall, which is also a biblical, uh, a biblical analogy. So, all right, so let's dig into this real quick. 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Check. 
Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, check, you get the point. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Now, I'm going to stop and pause for a moment right there and just say that that is one of the ones that sticks out to me the, mo- the most, despisers of those that are good. Because I can't help but think about the talking points about Christianity and about churches that are not based in fact. Now, think about it this way. I know we've talked a lot about it. We've talked about it on this show. I'm sure you've heard a lot about it on the news. But that Texas abortion bill that just was written. There there are a lot of people who have come out decrying Christians, especially Christians, which seems so odd to me, decrying this bill as though it doesn't support women. Okay. And and then people who have said, well, Christians are always on the attack for women's rights and always on the attack for things that they shouldn't be meddling in. No church should tell me what to do with my body. Well, this is ridiculous because the reality is, is that's a false talking point. Christians are on the forefront of really protecting women in crisis pregnancy centers. And by the way, they're on the forefront of protecting children beyond the womb with things like adoption and in the foster care agency. I can list out for you a litany of churches who are responsible for putting their money where their mouth is in this way, because we always say, well, Christians teach principles that perhaps make them the best parents on the planet. And then we go one step further, and many churches are responsible for helping kids get adopted, helping kids that are in the, uh, in the system find foster parents. Churches, many of them, are on the front of this. In fact, statistics tell us, and I'll put this down in the show notes so that you know, Christians are twice as likely as anybody else to adopt children. So this this the last part of where we castigate things that are good. I, I just want us to be careful of that because we, and especially in the church, have a habit of critiquing ourselves, but we need to be honest and fact-based when we do so. All right. And then finally it says this, traitors, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So I want to try to combine Huxley here with what we just read. Essentially what will happen is that before the world ends, people will fall so in love with pleasure that they won't care about truth. Now, I want to just go ahead and submit this to you too, because I've been thinking a lot about this lately with these vaccine mandates. There are people who are really, really quick to do what the government tells them. Now, I'm never going to understand that. But I also want to be sure that we understand something, too, about the nature of people beyond that, is that we have a propensity to to trust, and we have a propensity to want to be taken care of. I hope we understand this. Freedom does not come natural to us. Bravery does not come naturally to us. It has to be practiced, and it has to be intentionally acquired. That's how we can truly be brave. That's why it's a virtue. It doesn't come naturally to us. We have to train ourselves by practicing bravery and by being intentional to be brave about things that we should be brave about. But we can never do that if we are lovers of pleasure. So, I believe that the scripture paints a similar picture to that of what Huxley has painted. In fact, I believe the end of the world looks more like what Huxley said than even what what Orwell said, because of that last quote from Postman, and I'll just give it to you one more time, just for reference, when he says that the rationalist and the libertarian-loving people of, the liberty-loving people of this world, the libertarians, those people, they will forget that people have an infinite appetite for distractions. I think we need to take that into account when we think about the way the world is going to end. I'm going to quote from you one more person because this will confirm 
what the scripture says, what Aldous Huxley says, and I think this is just a brilliant illustration that Soren Kierkegaard gives us. Check this out. A fire broke out backstage in a theater. The clown came out to warn the public. They thought it was a joke and applauded. He repeated it. The acclaim was even greater. I think that's just how the world will come to an end, to general applause from the wits who believe it's a joke. So essentially what Kierkegaard is saying there is that the people who will welcome the end of the world will be those who are not moved. That they're so used to being entertained by the clown and so used to what the clown typically says that they will not take time to stop and think for themselves about what they are seeing. To maybe even think to themselves, maybe they should take seriously what this clown is saying. So essentially it's this idea. Lovers of pleasure, the clown, will just applaud as the world goes into destruction. So, I mean, it's a pretty bleak bleak picture of all of us, but I can't help but wonder if that's exactly how the world will end, to applause from us because we can no longer be moved by the truth. The more I see conversations surrounding the idea of politics, surrounding the idea of culture, surrounding the idea of religion or whatever it may be, where we cannot step back from what's happening and be outraged, be shocked by what's happening in the world, the more we find ourselves unmoved by what's going on, the closer I think we get to the end. I think that's what scripture paints the picture of. I think that's what Huxley is saying. Now, I want to say something about outrage real quick. Perhaps the provocateurs and those who are outraged jockeys are the ones who are probably the most to blame for a cultural malaise where we don't care about what's happening around us and we don't get shocked by it anymore because if everything is outrageous then nothing is outrageous but it still remains that there are things that should outrage outrage us for instance i think that we should look at the world around us and if we find that there's this continual disconnect in reality this there's this kind of wondering this weirdness as to how the culture is shifting and how different our world is than the one that we grew up in. I keep on thinking about that for my own kids. Like the world that we're shaping right now looks vastly different than the world that I grew up in. And it makes me wonder what kind of world we're going to leave behind for our kids to live in. And this is where I'm going to go conspiracy theory on you. Or perhaps I've studied something that makes me realize something that sounds like a conspiracy theory to those who are ignorant of it. The more I study Marxism, the more I realize that there is a cultural agenda out there that we need to become aware of. And the fact that we do not pay attention to it, the fact that when somebody will talk about cultural Marxism, and Christians especially, but anybody will just say, oh yeah, the Marxist, that's a sign that perhaps we're ready to applaud ourselves into the apocalypse. So I'm just going to tell you, way back in the Frankfurt School, way back in the 1930s and the 1940s, in the development of critical theory at Columbia University. If you look back and you research what these guys were saying all the way back then, you will realize that they're coming up with some themes that continually come out in the culture. One of the things that they believed is a Marxist idea that for a revolution to begin, it is predicated upon the overthrow of all existing conditions. Can somebody say 2020 and what took place with undermining the role of police in society? Beyond that, here's some of the things that they explicitly state in their literature that they're trying to go after. All right, so they're doing a couple of things like they want to 
include radical education practices, including prepubescent exposure to sexual images, the destruction of gender norms, the promotion of sexual promiscuity writ large in the culture, the removal of religious ideas from society and a disregard for the past, and the dismantling of the family as a means of stabilizing society. Because they know if they can overthrow all of these conditional elements in our culture, they can destabilize us as a society. So I don't know about you, but when I think about education and what's going on there, critical race theory and uh, comprehensive sex education in our schools, when I think about the LGBTQIA plus an ever-growing movement not based upon fact at all that even the American Medical Association is buying into, I, I, I can't help but wonder when I see Black Lives Matter rise up and want to destabilize the Western nuclear family. I can't help but wonder about that. Again, I think if we are wise, we will pay attention to what is going on in the world around us, and we will be moved by it. We won't just listen to the news, accept what they say is truth, but we will think for ourselves about this stuff and even be shocked by some of the things that we're seeing. But I think it's important that we don't just be shocked. I want to close like this. If we are going to prove Kierkegaard wrong, if we're going to prove Aldous Huxley wrong, then this is what we need to do. We need to not be so quickly moved. We need to not be so quickly moved by the news media cycle that goes so quickly that we can easily forget that billions of dollars of equipment is being driven around and flown around by the Taliban right now because of a horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan. All the while, that same president, I know you guys think this is overblown, but this is a real issue, especially if the families of those people are saying something about it. That same president was looking at his watch, waiting for his next appointment while he was supposed to be consoling the families of those people who lost their children in an ISIS bombing. We need to not be too quickly moved from the reality that this thing called coronavirus that we're fighting about right now with each other was released by China, right? So have we forgotten that they're responsible for this, whether it was a lab leak or whether it was something that, was ha that happened because of some animals in a web market? So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> One way or the other, this happened as a result of actions that people in China took. And yet we're fighting with each other. But the point is, is not that just we should be mad at China or that we shouldn't allow the news media to do our thinking for us. The point is, is how quickly are you moved? One of the ways that you can know is how quickly you move away from these news cycles and go on to the next thing. Let that be a barometer for you, a litmus test, as it were as to whether or not you're going to fall victim to the things that the scripture portrays, that Aldous Huxley portrays, that Soren Kierkegaard portrays, that these men seem to have unanimous consent on about what the end of the world will look like. And it will look like a bunch of people who cannot be moved anymore by the truth. So my encouragement to all of us is just simply this. We can applaud our way into the apocalypse or we can be motivated not to be numb to the things that are all around us, not to be so distracted by pleasure and entertainment that we forget that we have a role to stand up for liberty and freedom. So let your voice be heard. Get outraged about the things that you need to get outraged about, and do not let anybody else do your thinking for you. Let the facts do that. As long as we stay 
close to the truth and we're moved by the truth, that's when our world has a chance. Otherwise, it's the end of the world as we know it. I'd love to hear what you think. Please leave a comment below. Make sure to share, like, subscribe. Thanks for watching. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.